Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God is more interested in who I am as a person and building godly character in me than what I can do for Him as a servant. Just that personal relationship that I have with God where He is working in my life and ultimately transforming me more and more into the image of Christ. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Genesis chapter 17 in a message titled, God Seldom Early, Never Late. Now here's Pastor Brian. The last verse of chapter 16 says Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And as we saw in our previous study, of course, we know that God had given a promise to Abram. He'd given him the promise of a seed, given him the promise of descendants that would be more in number than the stars. And we saw how Abram sought to help God out a bit. And thus, at the suggestion of Sarai, his wife, he took Hagar, her handmaid, and she conceived and bore Ishmael. And all this happened when Abram was 86 years old. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. 13 years have been passed over in silence. It's pretty astounding. 13 years is quite a period of time, really. What was going on during those 13 years? What was Abram doing? Was there a, a silence uh, from the Lord because of Abram's blunder in trying to help God out? Perhaps there was. Perhaps it was a time when God was just working in a more personal way in Abram's life to refine him. We don't really know. But it is interesting to me to think about this. We have here in Genesis, we have 100 years of the life of Abram recorded. Uh, of course, he lived 175 years, but uh, we know his call from God came to him at the age of 75. So we pick up the story when he's 75 years old, and then he lives to be 175. So we've got a 100-year period of his life recorded. But yet, if you think about it, there's so few things that are really touched upon in those 100 years. Most of 
his life is not really chronicled for us. The daily activity, for the most part, is just passed over. And what we have are, you know, certain key moments and, you know, certain encounters with God that would be significant for, you know, the overall picture of what God would do in and through his life. But for the most part, it seems that he would have lived a relatively uneventful life. He would have, like most people, just got up in the morning, got out of bed, had his devotions, and gone off into, you know, the activity of the day. And just in that context, he would serve the Lord. Something that I find interesting to think about with this man, Abram or Abraham, you know, he wasn't an evangelist per se. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a missionary, really. You know, he didn't have a designated ministry title. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't necessarily a prophet, although to some extent he was. But, you know, he was, in many ways, he was just an ordinary person who lived, apart from these great promises and, and occasional encounters with God, who lived a relatively normal life. And the reason I bring that up is because I think that that, you know, really is the case for most people. Most of us will live relatively uneventful lives. But it's in just the, the mundane things. It's in just the daily routine that we are called to walk with the Lord, that we're called to fellowship with the Lord and, and grow in the Lord. Now, you know, some people, they live for the moment. They've got to have constant excitement in their lives. No downtime at all. You know, it's got to be just one, from, from one thrill to another. Now, if you try to approach your spiritual life like that, or if you have that mentality in regard to your spiritual life, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to be thoroughly disappointed because that just isn't the way it works, or you're going to try to force something to happen and end up getting yourself out into all kinds of weird types of things spiritually. You know, there are those people who, uh, for them, in their you know, thinking process and their perspective on their walk with the Lord, you know, unless they have had a, a, an angelic visitation a day, unless they've seen two or three you know, miracles equivalent to the parting of the Red Sea, unless, you know, there's just been some dynamic spiritual type of a thing going on, you know, they're disappointed and they're feeling down and they're feeling like God's not working. But that's a trap. And that is something that we have to be careful not to fall into. So I think just looking at Abram's life, there's a lesson in just this period of time 
in which he walked with the Lord, a few really powerful, critical encounters with God, supernatural kinds of things, definitely, but the majority of the time was spent just like we would spend the majority of our time. I think I could probably count on my one hand the times where I've had those, those real dramatic kinds of encounters with the Lord. You know, where God, you know, appears to you, so to speak, not literally, I haven't seen him, but, you know, he speaks to you in such a way that although it probably wouldn't go down as an audible voice, it might as well have been because it was that, it was that powerful. But that's not the daily experience. That's not something that happens all the time. I'd like it to happen more. But, you know, those things are up to the Lord. So here we have a 13-year period of silence. But then the Lord appears to him and exhorts him to walk before him and to be blameless. Now, it does seem to me that there's probably a connection here with this exhortation and with the blunder that Abram had committed in taking Hagar and, of course, producing Ishmael. So God is exhorting him. He's, I would say, even rebuking him mildly, but he's reminding him, as we pointed out previously, that he is God Almighty. You know, much of the Christian life, believe it or not, like it or not, amounts to waiting. How many of you like the idea of waiting? Anybody like that? I'm not really fond of waiting. But you know, much of the Christian life is, it's about waiting. What are we all doing right now? We're all waiting for the Lord to return, right? And, And that's the way it's been. Much of it is about waiting. Because you see, what we forget is that God is more interested in who I am as a person and building godly character in me than what I can do for him as a servant. Now, serving the Lord is a wonderful thing, and it's a great privilege, and it's an important thing, but it is secondary to just that personal relationship that I have with God where he is working in my life as an individual human being, refining me, purifying me, dealing with me, and ultimately transforming me more and more into the image of Christ. That's the main thing that's going on. And you know what that takes? It just takes time. It takes a lot of time. And it takes experience. And it takes difficulties and challenges and struggles and uh, the necessity of depending on the Lord. How do we grow in faith? Well, beside faith coming by hearing and hearing by the word of God, we grow in faith by experiences. We have experiences, and as we go through these experiences, we learn to trust God from experience to experience. And as we pointed out with Abraham, this is what we see. Here's a man who is on a faith journey, so to speak. 
He's a man of faith. God knows the, the end from the beginning. God knows that in the end, Abraham is gonna be a faithful man, but we've seen that he's sort of, you know, stumbling a bit on the way to that place of perfected faith. But that's just the way it works because, you know, we do stumble, but we get up and we keep moving on. And I think this word, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, this is really the Lord's word to all of us all the time. Whether or not there's any big event before us, whether or not there's any great spiritual encounter that's, you know, just around the corner or, you know, some people are just, you know, waiting for the next big revival and and then they're going to get, then they're going to get it together. You know, then they're going to get filled with the Spirit. Then they're going to be joyful. But we don't have to wait for that. God says, Today, in the present, walk before me and be blameless. And that's what we're all called to do, to just walk before him, to walk humbly with our God, to walk in submission to him and in obedience. And so the Lord says in verse two, and I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God talked with him saying, Abram fell on his face. Now this is a recurring kind of an experience that the servants of God have. Falling on one's face before God. You sense with this that Abram is just, he's just overwhelmed with the presence of God, with the glory of God. Probably with understanding the mercy of God. But I want to ask this question, not in an accusatory way or in a condemning way, but I want to ask the question, how often do we fall on our face before God? You know, isn't it true that we have become in our generation, I think we've become so familiar, so casual in our approach to God and to some extent a bit trite in our understanding of him that, you know, this idea of of falling on our face before the Lord, this is something that is just almost unthinkable. And, And occasionally when it does happen, you know, maybe somebody is, is really overwhelmed with the, the love, the power, the grace, the mercy of God or whatever. And, you know, there they go down on their face. You know, a lot of times we're looking around like, hey, you know, what, what's going on with this person? What's the matter with them? Where are the ushers? Why, they, they need to get this guy under control. You know, what, what has happened to us to where that seems like such a bizarre, foreign kind of a thing? I think it really has to do with our rather trite, sometimes, perspective on who God is. And here as Abram falls on his face, no doubt he's falling on his face because he's just, he's having one of those moments of of major, you know, revelation and realization as to just who God is. 
You think of how uh, Peter had a similar kind of an experience when it suddenly struck Peter that Jesus was more than, than just a man. You remember he had been fishing and had caught nothing, and then the Lord said, you know, cast the net on the other side, and they had this large net full of fish they were pulling in. And, and it says that Peter, when he saw all of this happening, it says that he fell down before Jesus at his knees, and he said, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You see, Peter had that same sort of a thing happening right there. There was a, a realization of who Jesus was. And this is the kind of thing that I, I think really we would all of us be better off spiritually if we had more of these you know, types of experiences where we're, we're having that, that kind of realization of who it is that we're, we're dealing with and this relationship that we have with the Lord. I think it's just part of our culture. As our cultures become casual about everything, it's sort of drifted into the church and we've become, I think, a bit too casual. I think there's also the other extreme that you can go to. And, you know, with some people, you know, their whole perspective of God is a heavy perspective. And, you know, it's sort of a, they're, they're, they're sober-minded to the extent that they have no joy or any of that. So, so there's a balance in this. But there are those moments, and I think this is clearly one of them, where there isn't really much forethought to it. It's, this is just where you go when you're encountering God in this kind of a way. And so Abram fell on his face. God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer, boy, I'm glad we finally got to this. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. Now we can start using the name that we know him by. (laughs) For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings shall come from you. So here God changes Abram's name, Abram means exalted father. He changes it to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. You know, it is interesting, isn't it, as we go through the scriptures to find how God is, you know, fairly frequently changing people's names. Of course, Jacob is one that comes to mind. Jacob, your name shall be called Israel. Jacob meaning supplanter. You remember he was named because he had grabbed hold of the, the foot of his brother, Esau. And later on in life, Esau would say that his name was appropriate. It fit him because he'd, he'd always been trying to supplant. And to some extent, that was indicative of his, of his nature. A person who was clever, a person who was scheming, a person who was never going to let the other guy get the upper hand on him. He was going to outsmart everybody. He was going to overtake by pulling the other guy back. But you remember, there comes a point when God says, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is no longer Yaakov. Your name is Israel, prince with God. And then, of course, we've already referred to Peter, but there's another great example. Peter's 
given name was, of course, Simon. But the, the moment Jesus meets him and he says, Simon, your new name is Peter. And of course, Peter means rock. Now, Peter was anything but a rock at that point. But the Lord, of course, he sees where he's taking us, not merely where we're at. And so Abraham, a father of many nations, verse seven, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now note this, this is the fourth time that God has said to Abraham that he would give him and his descendants the land of Canaan. Now, we're gonna find this, this promise repeated over and over again because this is an essential element of the covenant. So when the covenant is made with Isaac, this will be repeated. When the covenant is made with Jacob, this will be repeated as well. God has said over and over and over again that he would give the land of Canaan to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to the children of Jacob. Now, in our day, we can understand, I think, why it is that God said the same thing so many times over. Because we're living in a time when this is being highly disputed. We're living in a time when most nations, most governments refuse to recognize the right of the Jewish people to the land of Canaan. And of course, we're all familiar with that situation. We read about it every single day in the news. And as we go further on, we're gonna come back and look at that particular issue, but I wanna go further along and see how the covenant is passed on. But so once again, the fourth time, he repeats to them, or he repeats to Abraham that uh, the land is, is an essential part of the covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. For the month of October, 
Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Progress, Kindness, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. Western culture is characterized by particular values, whether it's the value of equality, when it comes to social injustice, race, or gender, or whether it's the value of freedom regarding local laws or presidential elections. Many of our most cherished values find their historical roots in the Jesus Revolution, also known as Christianity. In his book, The Air We Breathe, Glenn Scrivener traces the history of seven different values that are commonly held in Western culture that their origins have gone unnoticed, but find their beginnings in Christianity itself. He will take you through history, from the beginnings in Genesis up to George Floyd to present his case. This book will open your eyes how Christianity shaped our values of both Christians and non-Christians alike. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order The Air We Breathe, How We All Came to Believe in Freedom, Kindness, Progress, and Equality by Glenn Scrivener. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.